So, I don't even know what episode this is. Episode 13. 13, um, yep. yeah. Uh, half a year. Wow, okay. Yeah. We should get half a cake. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, but, uh, yes, it is definitely a habit at this point. Um, so, what, are we, what have we been up to? What's, uh, what's been going on, Sven? Well, first off, follow-up. We actually have follow-up. Okay. <laughs> I... I realized this immediately. For some reason, I realized it immediately after we finished last episode. I said, and this was when I was talking about this package. Um, I think it was it's called physical that that allows you to, yes. to handle units and stuff. I said, a force is a length times distance over time <laughs> to the second. And I, I did. I mean, my university called and said, like, I we want our degree back. <laughs> so a force is, of course, a length times. It's not a length times distance. It's a it's a length times a mass times, and then over time squared. I mean, why 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 did I say? I, anyway, that that's I needed to say this. I'm legally, um, I'm le- legally obliged to to um, make this correction. And, um, so I'm claiming no uh, no blame for this because I do not claim to be a physicist. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I I, uh, I remember quite vividly. So I did take uh, a physics. We're, we're already off track, uh, but I did <laughs> I did try to take a, a physics A level, and um, that's a two year course um, uh, for people outside the UK. It's a two year course that you take between I think sixteen and eighteen. Um, so reasonably advanced. They're, they're generally, as I understand it, believed to be quite difficult exams. Um, and I really struggled with physics A-level, just couldn't quite get it. And I remember quite vividly a year into that course, uh, we had like a, a parent-teacher evening where uh, my dad came into the school and we, and, and I had to attend with them. So it was me and my dad and my teacher sat, sat down. And I, <laughs> my teacher said to me, he said, I think, um, I think David should um, drop physics. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. So, uh, but actually, there's a there's a, a happy ending to the story. Uh, what I did instead of that physics, so I dropped the physics course and upgraded. I was doing a half unit in computing, and I upgraded it to a full one. Uh, and I guess that uh, shaped partly the rest of my career in my life. So, yeah, it all worked out in the end. Well, you you certainly took the shorter path. I I did full-length <laughs> physics and university, and then I then I dropped it for, for software. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Although I always say that people who didn't take that straight route into computing, like I did, which is do it at A levels, then get a degree in it, and then go into it. I always think that those people who didn't take that straight route are, make much better uh, developers. Um, so there you go. I think I think that's proven out in. Uh, <laughs> this as well. <laughs> Got to run the experiment. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was follow up, um, and then we got a bit of news. Um, I think we did mention last time about the generic documentation links, right? Because that was in already. I think so. Yes. Yeah, Although we so have now is... announced them. So yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Now we have a blog post up that explains what it is. So this is previously when you. Um, navigated from a package page to the documentation. That link on the package page actually had the version in it so if you copied that link you would always be pointing to a you know latest release release one two three for example or if there was no release then to the main branch now we have a generic documentation link so it's just package owner package or repository name and then slash documentation that will get you to the latest documentation of that package whatever that is the latest release or if there are no releases to the to the default branch so it'll always auto resolve to to that um, reference um what we've since also done is added support for deep linking into documentation so 
if you have a uh, article, an article in your Docsy documentation that you want to link to, or a symbol or something, you can tack that onto that generic documentation link, and we'll then resolve it. Um, so I think the easiest way to actually get a link is copy it from your Docsy documentation and then just strip out the reference, you know, like your, your release number out of the link. And then uh, that should be a, a supported generic link. Um, what I love yeah. about that is, <clears throat> excuse me, I, what I love about that is um, that you can just take any uh, package that has documentation, add that slug of documentation on the end of the package index URL, and no matter whether the package index hosts the documentation or whether it is hosted elsewhere, you just have a standard link to get to package documentation for hopefully eventually any package uh, but certainly at the moment any package that has documentation uh, and of course if it doesn't have documentation you'll get just a 404 there but I love that we're starting to create a bit of a kind of centralized place but also supporting external documentation of where you can find package documentation I think that's quite valuable um, and I think we I think we've done it deliberately but but it's it, I think it deserves highlighting that we're that we're we're starting to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I find it great. We almost um, have 200 packages now that, that have documentation, and I'm starting to, so I get to this later on. I, I did some work using a dependency this week, and I, I was really, I, I was using our, our documentation links a lot um, because they have really good documentation. Um, and it was just great to, to have it all there and, and use the site uh, for that purpose. You know, not just finding packages, but you know, in the course of development, um, you know, looking up documentation. It's actually um, the fastest way to get to a package is um, is via Linux, which I find really nice. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I I think it's 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 often the case when if you're working on a project, you forget how good it is to use it, right? Because <laughs> you're so yeah. close to it, and you're not like you're working on all the all the different aspects of it. You're working behind the scenes, <clears throat> but when you actually come to use the site as a as an end user, it can be really pleasant to go, oh, actually, we've made, we've made something pretty good here. <laughs> yeah. And this is maybe a small tip to mention at this point. If people are using uh, Raycast, the, um, yeah. you know, the sort of spotlight replacement, there is a, in the official um, plugins list, um, there's a Swift package index plugin that you can install and it gives you search of the site and which that's what I'm using all the time to go to packages. Me too. But just to be very clear on terminology there, it's not a plugin. <laughs> so they, when when Raycast first started, they had scripts, and I implemented that Swift Package Index search as a script because I wanted to. I implemented it because I wanted to use it, um, and it's in their official scripts directory. And then Raycast added plugins. Oh, or are you talking about the, the actual plugin? Yes, the extension that you can install. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't. I don't use that. I use the script. Right. No, there is actually, and you can find it in the catalog. It's called Search Packages. You're absolutely um, right. And that and wasn't um, created by us. That was created by somebody else. I can't remember who. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I wasn't prepared to actually mention that properly. Um, maybe we should um, uh, do that offline, add a link um, to the show notes and, and yeah. then follow up with that. But yeah, that's, that's a really great way to, to search um, and, find, and go to package pages. Interesting. That's, that's, it's curious that I haven't... So I do have that installed, but I still have the script as my primary way of uh, doing it, right. and and then that just opens up the search page. And I think I think I'm deliberately living it that way because I do quite like the search page that shows you authors and keywords, and I do use those things as well. Um, 
which of course is the extension to just showing you a list of packages. Yeah. Um, another piece of news worth mentioning is we added some documentation to our um, SPI manifest file. So this is a little file that package authors can put in their repository to control how we index the um, the package. It's .spi.yaml or yml is the is the file name. Um, we haven't linked to this properly yet. There's actually a package in our org on GitHub, um, Swift package index slash SPI manifest where the doxy documentation lives. Um, and we also added a tool to allow package authors to validate their, their file um, you know, pre-flight to make sure that it's syntactic leaked. That's both as available as a plain executable and as a command plugin. We probably should write a little blog post about that when we have actually linked the docs and um, and talk about that there. But it's, it's worth mentioning ahead of time. So you've just ruined one of my package recommendations for today. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was on the fence whether I should. I actually had it in the list, but then I thought, well, that's actually news. For, yeah. <laughs> I was going to mention it for a couple of reasons, exactly both of those two things that you just said. The fact that it now has some documentation and the fact that it has the, this command plugin um, for validation. And so let's talk a little bit about both of those things. First of all, I think it's worth mentioning that the documentation came as a result of the uh, Swift mentorship program. So Sven had been mentoring. Uh, well, I'll let Sven uh, <clears throat> talk about that a little bit. Yeah, exactly. They I mean, he joined us, Ahmad Yasser, um, at the start of the Swift um, mentorship program, which is, I think, like six weeks, seven, seven, eight weeks ago. So I started working on that, adding Doxy documentation to the package, really started us on a journey to, to finally get this file better documented, um, which was really helpful and, and, and great work there by um, Ahmad. Um, yeah, and we, the, so the idea has been for a while to, to add the documentation by by making you know making use of the tools that we have, which is Doxy, and then the integration into the our own package hosting, which we then link to from several places um, over the site. And this is the part that we haven't done yet, actually link to the you know proper parts of the documentation on the site where it's um, you know where it makes sense. Like for instance, the maintainer page. Um, that you can click through from the package page and, and you know various there might be other spots where it's helpful to link through but yeah that, that got us kicked off and at the same time that natural place allows us to to ship a little binary that that checks that the syntax is correct which does nothing more than just code and you know use yams uh, the yaml file decoder to decode the, the file you pointed out and make sure that it loads properly and that's using the exact same code that we use server-side to decode so you'll always be sure um, that, that it, it works, it'll yeah. work, what you have there. And Sven and I haven't yet talked about this because we haven't actually talked about this command plugin at all yet. Uh, we've only communicated through getting a pull request on this one. Um, <clears throat> I think the plan is, um, and, and Sven may correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think the plan is for eventually that tool, not using the command plugin, of course, uh, but for that tool to be available on a web page so that if you have a SPI YAML file in your repository, you can grab that file, the contents of that file, paste it into a text box and just say, is this right? Um, because checking yeah. out the repository, running the tool, that's like that's a, an extra step that shouldn't necessarily be needed. But all of this is great progress towards where I think we'll end up, which is with a web page. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is ideally we'll have a little validation text box where you just paste in your thing, your YAML file content and, and have it you know checked. Um, yeah, without going through the hassle of adding. I mean, it's not too much effort to add the command plugin to your manifest file, but you know, it's easier to just paste something into a text box. 
And while we're on the subject of the SWIFT mentorship program, um, there is a, another pull request open at the moment, which we're not quite ready to talk fully about yet. Um, but I've also been working with um, a SWIFT, uh, um, uh, someone who is, is uh, working with the SWIFT mentorship program to implement author support. So I've been working with Javier to, um, well, he's done all the work. He's done uh, a fantastic amount of work with extracting author information from the GitHub, uh, from not, not from GitHub, from Git uh, logs. Um, and we will be automating the addition of author names onto package pages um, soon. So actually, the pull request that's in at the moment is part one of two, which is the automation, so the, the automated way of, of grabbing authors, which is, as I say, from, from the Git logs. Um, but in the cases where a package author would like to say, actually, I'd like to be a little bit more um, specific about who wrote this, um, there will be a... Um, SBI YAML override where you can say, actually ignore what you find in the Git logs. Instead, here are the people who wrote, wrote it. Because sometimes Git history has CI bots in it and you know all sorts of things that you might not want to be publicly uh, shown yeah. as, a, as an author. Um, but it actually does a pretty good job of, as long as you've had, as long as you've had a name uh, uh, attached to your Git uh, logs, uh, it does a pretty good job of grabbing author information. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's one of our oldest uh, it is. <laughs> issues, open issues still in the list. Well, it's so interesting. It's so a little bit of behind the scenes on that one. Um, the So this was originally in the plan for V1. Like, we, we can't launch unless these set of features are done. And then, of course, as you get down to the wire, some features fall by the way for the wayside. <laughs> and unfortunately, author support was one of those features. And partly it fell by the wayside because we realized it was originally only going to be automated from git uh commits and we realized that that probably wasn't good enough and would ask make people ask a whole load of questions of like how can i actually get this to be correct rather than what you assume is correct yeah uh, and so we didn't add it but we did get far enough that the database field was added <laughs> and so the database field has been there for the last two and a bit years um and uh some of them like some of the model code had actually been created so uh javier has been doing great work in we've actually had to change the format of the database field but uh he's been doing great work in taking what was a half well it wasn't even a half finished feature it was a 10 percent finished feature uh and, and finishing it and, and creating something uh great from it so uh, really happy yeah. to see that going because i think like personally and I know that we're saying this two years into the project, but personally, it's actually a really important thing. I, I, I love that we will be able to give credit to the people who, is, who are writing all of the uh, packages that we are indexing. So uh, I, I, I like this feature a lot, and I'm glad that we're finally uh, doing it. Yeah, yeah, it's great to see. Great to see. Um, I have... Maybe one... Yeah, go on. Yeah, one, one short thing to mention is we had a, a search fix go in. Um, so our search result ranking should be should be quite a bit better for certain packages, popular packages. Um, there are details in, in issue 2072 for those who are interested. Um, it's too long to mention here, but I just wanted to mention that fix. And uh, did you have something else? I did. I, um, so I'm, I may actually write about this on uh, iOS Dev Weekly tomorrow because um, I... Uh, spoilers. Spoilers, yeah. But then again, I may not. So who knows, right? Um, I do have to decide quickly though because it is Thursday. Um, yeah, I've, I created a little uh, command line tool this week to uh, help with, I mean, the details of what it does are actually fairly inconsequential. It auto-generates one of our CSS files in the in the, um, uh, the package index. So it grabs a whole load of SVG files. It uh, 
opens them up, base 64 of them, it sticks them into um, CSS variables, and uh, it's saving me a whole lot of work on, on a workflow that used to be manual and has up until this point been manual, which is a combination. I mean, you don't want to know about what this workflow was like. It was a mess. It was like five manual steps every time you need to change any image, which is, yeah, it's been on my list for a long time to fix this. Um, and traditionally, if I was going to do something that was more than would be sensible in a bash script, my uh, inclination would have been to reach for Ruby. That's my kind of scripting tool of uh, of choice and to knock up something that is more than a bash script but less than a whole app, um, it's a great choice for that. You can write them really easily. Um, and and I, I would have very traditionally uh, reached for that as my tool. But obviously, um, this is not a project that only I'm working on, and definitely I'm the only person on this project who knows Ruby. Last couple of these tools that I've built um, have used um, Swift, and more importantly, the Swift argument parser. And it's just a pleasure to use that uh, package. It's great. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It's just like... The name of the package really doesn't do what it does justice. <laughs> like, yeah. you think, oh, it's an argument path. So, okay, so I still have to do everything else. No, actually, that's not true at all. It is, what I, what I would call it is command line kit or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, is, it is a wonderful piece of software. And that piece of software, plus the fact that... Um, uh, there are some great packages for quickly executing uh, shell commands and things like that. Swift, I would say, is is on a par now with how easy this stuff is to do with Ruby. In fact, the argument parser stuff takes it ahead of um, uh, Ruby for knocking up a quick like that. Um, and it's a pleasure to work with. Yeah, it's just it's it's a. I know that the, the when Swift first appeared, and I think there's a very famous uh, saying from Chris Latner, which is that he wanted uh, the, the goal of Swift to be world domination, as in it can be used for anything, right? It can do, it can take everything from low-level system programming to iOS applications, to servers, to command line, to ev you know everything. It should just be able to do everything. And the road to that is long, <laughs> uh, but I certainly feel like in terms of creating like quick little command line scripts uh, or tools, uh, it's is, is is a wonderful piece of software. And if you haven't checked it out, I would recommend it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And actually, one it thing I want great. to do to finish that tool off. So at the moment, that tool is just a literal command line tool. Um, but we have a directory full of SVG files in our repository and uh, that seems to me like a great use for a build plugin, uh, a Swift Package Manager build plugin, so that part of our build process could be to grab those SVG files, base64 them, stick them in the CSS, and then at the end of that run our um, front-end build process, which takes all those CSS files, combines them into one file, minifies it, that kind of stuff. So we can start to build that build pipeline up a little bit, I think, uh, and this will be part of it. Yeah, that sounds like a like a prime candidate for a for uh, build plugin. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So that's that's cool. that. Right, we might have a return segment because last week we also talked about getting some stats. So the um, the quiz segment right. is back. Yeah, the quiz segment is back. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, are you ready? I'm ready. Um, I have a tough opener though. Um, Name the current UK Prime Minister and three cabinet members, please. <laughs> well. If you can. <laughs> that's, that's a very difficult question. 
I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you off the hook. <laughs> uh, I, did, I did see this afternoon that apparently uh, Boris is going to make a run back for leadership. So, so just when you think, just when you think things can't get any worse. Oh God, clown emoji. Yeah, exactly. All right. <laughs> um, so we, we were talking about some uh, Swift 5.7 stats last time or two weeks ago. Um, and one thing is like, how many packages are requiring tools version 5.7? Mm. Um, what's your guess? I think it's pretty low um, because obviously it's only been out for a little while. And also, so there's two ways that you would get a tools version 5.7. Either you would create a new package um, or you would manually upgrade for a specific feature. Um, so I'm yeah. guessing there are 100 packages so far, which as a percentage would be, I don't know, 2%? Yeah, very close. 87 and 1.7%. Hey! So there you go. <laughs> very, very close. What's your What's your guess what the um, most common tools version is? Five, five. I was quite surprised by the distribution of, of tools version numbers. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd say five five. No, five six. Five five. Right. No, it's not. It's five three. Five one is the second. Four zero oh, is the is the third, and five five is the fourth. They're they're close. Sixteen percent, fourteen point seven, four point fourteen point two, and eleven point nine percent. But I was really surprised that four zero oh, oh, was still present in so many packages. That's seven hundred and twenty five packages. I mean, I guess it should go, goes to show that they still work i haven't checked how many of those would actually have any sort of compatibility i mean yeah. they might just be all flagged out in the build matrix but i don't know it's might maybe worth looking at um so yeah i think this is this is highlighting potentially a little um problem not specific to the swift uh, ecosystem but to all package ecosystems which is a lot of packages get developed <clears throat> used by somebody for a personal thing and then don't get maintained, don't, don't, don't get updated. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of the reason we make it so prominent that the, almost the first thing that's on the, the package page is how active is this package? Because it's definitely something that, uh, that I look for as, as almost the first thing, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. um, one, one other interesting bit, I'll just rattle off the numbers here. Um, and I won't make you guess is the uh, Swift version compatibility. So I was, I was surprised that 5.7 has such a high rate at 86%. So 86% of packages are 5.7 compatible, That's which great. is slightly up from 5.6, which is 84, 5.5, which is seven, uh, is 80%, and 5.4, which is 68%. So it's it's interesting to, to see how how that um, compatibility has, has developed. Well, way to destroy um, my previous point as well, because um, if <laughs> my, my point was that things decay, uh, and actually if we've got 80-something 80, 80 percent uh, compatibility with the very latest version that is a fantastic number yeah. yeah well bear in mind this is you know any there is a, there is at least one bill that is that passes yeah that's okay on, yeah on five seven yeah i, I yeah. count that as uh, compatible yeah yeah so yeah there you go well, that's good news um that's... i i haven't actually looked at what the plan is for five eight and and uh is, is five eight going to be a next year thing i presume it is I, I think that's a spring release. I, I would imagine five eight is spring, and then maybe six, six coming. I'm not sure. WWDC. I'm not sure if that's too early, but I think it's. I think that that's probably the. There was lots of talk about six, roadmap. but then there is definitely. I think a five eight. I'm sure that that's been uh, talked about. Yeah, I mean the talk about six is mainly because this is the opportunity for 
um, uh, source compatibility yes. breaking changes, um, which you know then is, is probably planned ahead of time a bit more or longer term to get things lined up and to decide what to to break compatibility on. Um, but yeah, I think those are the the timelines. Shall we do some package? Recommendations or yeah, let's run through some packages. All right, um, I shall. Do you want to kick yeah, us off? Yeah, I'll kick us off this week. Um, so a fun one. Um, first, uh, it's called Dynamic Island Utilities, um, and it's by Suyash Shriyan. Um, and it is a uh, it is a little package that does a couple of things. It allows you to get the size of the dynamic island. Although I will say, as um, uh, Suyash does, that the size that gets reported is the physical size of the actual cutout, not the dynamic size of whatever whatever size the island is right now. <laughs> um, but what he's also implemented is a couple of progress indicators. And if you load up the uh, README um, and just scroll down a little bit, you can have a progress indicator that laps the dynamic island, <laughs> which I thought was fun. <laughs> looks a little bit like it, a It looks track. really nice, yeah. It looks a yeah, little bit like a running track. It was yeah. actually on my list as well. Oh, no. It's a really cool looking. Uh... <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm not sure that I would recommend using it in an app, but I did really like it. <laughs> it's you do have a you have a dynamic island phone. Don't I do. You? Yes, I bought an iPhone yeah. uh, 14 Pro. Yeah. So you might actually be able to try it out. <laughs> yes. What I what I um, uh, what I'd be curious to see is how it interacts with. All the different things that the dynamic island can do, because uh, I think I think it may. I mean, I'm, I'm like, far be it for me to to to, to uh, judge it before I've even used it. But I, the amount of different things, like it can split into two parts, and I don't know how it would cope with any of that kind of stuff. But it's it's fun anyway. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely an interesting, interesting package. Um, my first package is perhaps a return package, um, which is the composable architecture by Point Free Co. That's um, Brandon Williams and Stephen Sellis. Um, and uh, I, I may have mentioned this before, but I'm, I'm bringing this up because they had a, a bigger release um, since last time. I think it was this week or the week prior, which is version 42, interestingly, 042. Um, and I think because they use 42 in a lot of their examples um, for obvious reasons. The, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, and the bigger change there is they introduced a, a new reducer protocol and an app dependency um, result builder, um, no, not a result, but a um, property wrapper, um, which makes it much easier to, to use architecture or reduces complexity and, and some of the boilerplate. Um, and I'm bringing this up because I actually spent a little time earlier this week to transition a smallish app over to this new version and to use this new protocol, also the async await stuff, um, which are, they are now using in their reducers. And, and it's really nice how that cleaned up the code. So if you are using the composable architecture, have a look at that. If you're not, um, and you're building apps using Swift UI, I think it's a great fit for apps, um, especially if you're into testing. So that's that's definitely worth a look, um, I'd say. Fabulous. I think I saw so a huge go. blog post on that as well. Yeah, and, and I should give a shout out, actually, yes, I forgot this in my notes. They have a blog post. They also have extensive Doxy documentation. And, and this is when I, when I said earlier I was using Docs a lot. They actually have specific articles in their Doxy documentation about transitioning to various new things that they that they ship. So reduce the protocol and 
uh, dependency property wrapper, they have specific articles that describe how you, you know, adapt your code base to these new versions. And I, I find that remarkable that an open source package is so well documented and, yeah. and supported. A, everything is backwards compatible. You can just upgrade to 42, 042 and compile and, and everything will work. Everything in your old structure will, will still work. And then you can transition bit by bit view view over to the new mechanism and they document it and help you out, you know, how to how to make that transition, which is really nice. It's sort of like a, a mini a mini WWDC thing that you get and get a video. You, I think they are even the this release video might be public. Um, there are certainly parts of composable architecture videos that are available. And obviously the open source package and the documentation is all all available. So yeah, have have a look if you're interested in that sort of thing. Great. Um, I predict my next package recommendation is going to be extremely unpopular. <laughs> but I, I you're, you're selling it. Well. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I need to mention it because uh, of what I said earlier, uh, which was that uh, when I used to I, I used to write a lot of Ruby code and uh, and and it was still my go-to for writing little shell scripts. I noticed the package this week that had a, a release. The release was actually quite minor; it just supported a new version of uh, of, of Ruby. Um, but it's a package called Ruby Gateway by John Fairhurst. Um, and yeah. it allows you to uh, basically instantiate Ruby objects inside Swift, um, which um, you wouldn't, I think if you if you were trying to just use Swift to write Ruby, that's obviously the wrong way to use this, <laughs> this package. Um, but I can definitely see because there is an enormous amount of um, uh, fantastic uh, Ruby gems, packages, whatever you call them. Um, and you can instantiate some of those inside Swift now. And I thought that was worth uh, worth a mention. Um, I have no idea how it works, but it's a really interesting idea. That's interesting. I saw this package. I had it on my extended list, but I was pretty sure that you might approach <laughs> <Right>. that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very aware that thinking... not a lot of people are looking to instantiate Ruby objects in Swift. I, I know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I see it now in the in the readme because I was I wasn't sure whether you could actually load a a, a gem, but it's it's right there in the example. Ruby dot require um, file name you, yeah rouge and then require. and then get a rouge and call highlight. You know, it's, I mean, I, I'm not sure. Interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure how practical <laughs> it is. What it is is fascinating. Yeah, I, it's it's just great that that's that's possible. I don't think that's that's probably not even. All that outlandish because it's using the CAPI and you know that integration is, is solid. I think we talked uh, a while back. We talked about the Python. Uh, there was a similar Python project. Um, I forget the name, um, but if you search for Python on the Swift Package Index, you will find it, um, which does the same thing with the Python C bindings and, and allows you to, to mess around there. I, I, I think that's great. I, I think it's, it's really yeah, I think stuff. it's really interesting. I, I'm just noticing now that it doesn't have a green tick for uh, Linux, which I, I wonder whether that is a fundamental thing or whether it's just that the Linux build is, is failing for some fixable reason. Because I, I can't see any reason it wouldn't work on Linux. <laughs> uh, well, it could just be that the base image doesn't have might not Ruby in it. The libraries, yeah. 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 Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that's it. Yeah. In fact, there it is. Import C Ruby two errors. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So I, I would imagine. I mean, I'm, I'm reaching here, but I would imagine that probably will work on Linux too. It, it should, yeah. I, I can't see. I mean, unless it uses some Objective C stuff to dynamically discover stuff, I'm not sure if that might be failing further down the line. Then. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it was. Uh, I thought yeah, it was worth mentioning, even if even package. if people don't rush out and uh, start rewriting bits of their apps in Ruby. <laughs> 
Right, my second pick is a package called StatKit by Jimmy Anderson. And um, this caught my eye because it's a really nice package for a very specific thing that you probably don't want to mess with, um, you know, depending on, on you know, what you do. It's it's about statistics and it's I think it's effectively working on all sorts of collections where you can have averages of standard deviations, that sort of stuff be computed. And um, this is made by someone who is a data scientist. So that's that is good credentials and um, has an extensive test suite. It does have documentation. So there's a documentation link where you can click through and see what the various um, um, methods are that are supported, how it's working, that sort of stuff. Um, really nice package. So if you are in need for any, any sort of statistical computations on your collections, I think that's a great start. And then, um, you know, you can obviously extend and, and take it from there. He has lots of things. He's doing things like computing fuel consumption. So there's a lot of things you can do um, on top of just the basic statistics um, to get out of this package. What, really nice. What was the name of the package? StatKit. Interesting. I haven't come across that one. Yeah, that, sh that showed up. Uh, I think it's... I think it had a, either a release or... Um, it did. It had a, was added it had a point six yeah. one release six days ago. Yeah, yeah that's, that's how it got caught in the net. I, I must admit, so, I, yeah, I read... When I'm, when I'm trolling through for, for packages, new packages, I read all of the ones that have major releases and I kind of skim the ones that have minor releases. <laughs> that's, my, that's my method. I, I'm... I'm a really, I'm really a sucker for good package names. So if, if there's something, if, if there's a short name that is, or something that's that seems like that is very true. Well named, yeah. I click through. <laughs> yeah, um, there's one I can't remember the name off, off the top of my head, but there's one which I click on almost every week because it tricks me with its name every week, and I can't remember what it's called. Uh, but it's some commercial API. It's a package for uh, accessing some commercial API. So not not necessarily something that I would uh, bring here just because it's so specific. But the name of it gets me to open it every week. I, oh, I wonder what that one is. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, do you have another one? Or I think I'm, I'm pretty much my, with my list. Yeah, my last one was going to be SBM Manifest, but we already talked about that at the beginning of the, uh, right. uh, of the episode. So uh, I was going to, if, if yeah. you didn't talk about that, I was going to talk about it. Cool. Yeah, no, I think we said everything we needed to say about that one. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's, so, um, and we're on time, quarter two. So I think excellent. we'll call it a episode there. Uh, thank you so yeah. much to everyone for listening. I can see we've got plenty of people uh, listening today, and um, uh, we will be back with you in two weeks' time, which is the 3rd of November. There you go. Great. Well, thanks, everyone. All right. And see you next time. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.